Right, if you would, take a Bible and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to read verses 4 through 11. If you want to follow along in the Pew Bible, we're on page 813. Um, it's good to see so many of you here. Um, I want to acknowledge one person in particular who's here. Um, Franklin Carter is here. Franklin is stationed in Guam. He, smi- he looked at me and smiled like, I hoped you wouldn't do this. Um, but we're so glad to have you here. We appreciate you and your service. You're here for another week, maybe, and then you're going back. But thanks for being here today, and thank you for, for all you do. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4 through 11. Paul writes, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them and all men. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom, to another the message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he gives them to each one just as he determines. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Not to go on and on about my love of baseball. But it is baseball season. Things are winding down. And... Just the other day, I drove by Avondale Park. Avondale Park was a really special place for our family for many years. Um, Our children played ball there with Southside Ball at Avondale Park. I got into coaching teams, and and I sometimes felt like an imposter. As I'd walk across the uh, facilities there, and different coaches, different uh, players would say, Hey, coach! And I kind of want to be like, well, I'm not really a coach, you know. I just pretend to be a coach every now and then. But I loved it. I loved coaching sports. And I eventually got to the place where I wasn't just competing against the other coach across the field. I actually got to a place, I think, where I cared about the kids, believe it or not. Where I wanted them to flourish, wanted them to have a good time. But one of the things about coaching youth sports is that there's this fine balance between, especially in rec league sports, between everybody getting a chance to play and being somewhat competitive. Between everybody getting a chance to play and still being somewhat competitive. I've erred on both sides of the spectrum. I've erred on the side of, we're going to win this championship The seven- and eight-year-old championship will be mine. (laughs) Maybe maybe not being that sad if certain kids didn't show up for the game. And then I've gone to the other extreme of just, let's just hold hands and be friends and everybody can play. And it doesn't matter how old you are or what your level of ability is, it is not fun for anyone. To lose a baseball game 21 to 0. It's not fun. 
there's a balance there in everybody playing and us being competitive and trying to accomplish a goal. And one of the things that gets in the way the most is when the kids didn't want to, they didn't want to follow the plan that I had. I was meticulous. I would write out who was going to play what position each inning. I knew where to kind of hide Joey, who needed to get his feet on the dirt of the infield, but probably would not catch the ball. And so I had a plan, and we just had to work the plan. But without fail, the players on the team, nobody wanted to play right field. Nobody. And so without fail in um, coach's pitch, it was, can I play pitcher mound this inning? May I play pitcher's mound this inning? Put me on pitcher's mound. Because pitcher's mound is you're right there in the middle of the action. The ball will come to you. You will have an opportunity, and it's kind of that position of glory and esteem in coach pitch baseball. But not everybody, even for their own safety, should stand in the pitcher's mound position. And the best teams that we would have, or the best experiences we would have, is when everybody came to the field motivated by the same goal. Everybody was willing to play their part. Everybody was willing to play their position so that we might accomplish this greater thing together. But it, that idealistic, idealistic situation didn't happen often. As you've probably seen, you've probably been to the stadium yourself before, and not just the kids want Johnny to play pitcher's mound. Who else does? The parents. And the coach can't see the talent that my kid has, you know? There are all these things and all these dynamics that are at work in a, in a position like that. And as they get older, the everybody play part gets less important, doesn't it? And the winning becomes more important. Everybody playing becomes less important. Winning becomes more important. And the best teams that you and I have seen in high school or college or in the pros are the teams that weren't dominated perhaps by one superstar, but that had a lot of people who were talented, who were willing to play their role. They were willing to do what they were good at for the sake of the team so they might accomplish the goal of winning, and they didn't get down in self-pity or pride saying, I'm the star of the team, look at me. And instances of that are kind of rare, aren't they? It seems more and more that we value the individual, we value the star, we value the person with the most talent. Think about watching games these days and they show everybody walking into the stadium before the game. You've seen that? And it's like, all right, they have on ridiculous looking clothing that's cool apparently, you know. It's all about me. It's all about me being up front and being seen. And if I don't get what I want, I'll get traded. I'll find a new team to play for. Because ultimately this is about me. And selfishness, self-centeredness just can ruin anything that is um, supposed to be comprised of a group or a team accomplishing one mission. It can happen in musical groups, I think. Just today, I was sitting over here, and when the choir sings without any accompaniment, any um, musicians playing alongside them, I feel particularly 
jealous? When Kelly said, sing harmony if you know it, I looked at Luke and I said, Luke, I got one thing, baby. He was sitting beside me. I do one thing all the time. I don't know if it's harmony or parts or what it is, but I just sing. But a choir only works if everybody in each section does their thing, correct? Everybody can't sing the solo. Or in an orchestra, there can only be how many first chair violins? One. And if you are not that first chair violin, then you need to be satisfied with playing your, your part. And it can even happen, believe it or not, in churches. It can happen in churches. Where rather than us focusing on this common goal that God's given us to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ in word and in deed, where we ask God, just slot me in wherever you need me in the life of the church, wherever it is that I can use what you've given me for the flourishing of everyone else in the church, then I'm willing to play that part. It was certainly the case at the church in Corinth. You probably have heard this before, but if you're ever in a church that has problems, just get the letter to 1 Corinthians out and read it, and you'll say, "Woo! compared to them, we're not that bad. Paul had so many issues to deal with with the church in Corinth. And the idea of being fragmented, being divided against each other, was, was one of the issues that reared its head the most. And right from the get-go, Paul addresses some of the divisions that were happening in the church in Corinth. One of the ways that they were dividing amongst each other was they were picking different leaders in the church. And they were saying, well, I'm with Apollos because he's pretty impressive. Or I'm with this person or I'm with Paul. And Paul comes in and he says, this is, this is crazy that each of us are only here to be faithful to the ministry that God's given us. And the real star of the show and the church is whom? It's Christ. Only one star of the show in the local church, and it's Jesus. And so he says, we we're just all doing our part, and ultimately it's God that gives the growth. And if you just flip through the letter of 1 Corinthians and you pay attention to all the things that Paul is addressing, you'll notice that Paul is always keeping them before them this idea that God's called them to participate in the local community of faith, not for themselves, but for the good of other people. The phrase he uses here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is the common good. The Holy Spirit has given you gifts for the common good. Now, I am um, I'm not a political pundit. I'm not someone that uh, you should elect to, be, uh, to govern you in any way. But it seems to me, as I pay attention to the world that you and I live in now, that some notion of the common good is hard to find. That there's factions, there's divisions, there's you against me, it's us against them. And the idea that we could enter into relationship with each other in any area, 
of our lives. Not in such a way that I'm here just for me and mine, but I'm here for the common good. It seems to be in short supply as I look around at the conversations surrounding us. And so maybe Paul's words to us are just as revolutionary today. Maybe they're just as um, staggering as we think about what it would look like if we lived into this today as it was back then. There's so many issues that Paul addresses and he tries to he tries to bring them together to this idea that whatever it is that I do in the local church, I'm here primarily for building up the church. The idea of spiritual gifts is right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it's not just in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's in other places in 1 Corinthians. And Paul addresses the idea of speaking in tongues. And he says, speaking in tongues has become this this big divisive thing in the church. And some of us are saying, well, I'm more spiritual than you. Look at what I can do. And Paul says, at the end of the day, our heart and our goal should not be to bring the attention to ourselves, but our goal should be building up the church. So whatever spiritual gift it is that God has given you, it's not for the glorification of you, but it's for the purpose of building up the local church. Paul would talk about different ways that they had been given a conscience either to eat meat or to not eat meat. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if I was in the church in Corinth, I would be in the eat meat, eating meat group. There are these cultural dynamics at work that some people believe that the meat that was sacrificed in the temple to a false god should not be eaten. And Paul could be so bold as to say that if what you eat offends your brother, you shouldn't eat it. So if what I eat offends someone else with a weaker conscience in the church, I'll never eat meat again. Now I gotta tell you, I gotta pray about that. The idea of sacrificing my wants, my desires, exercising my freedoms, of putting any limitation at all on that. There's something deep within me that just rises up. We live in a country that values the individual. In a lot of ways, that's a good thing. In a lot of ways, it's a good thing. There's some cultures around the world that, that the rights of the individual never come up. And so they're abused, they're taken advantage of. But you and I, because of our Christian beliefs, we believe that everyone is made in God's image. Everyone is deserving of respect and dignity. Here at Mount Baptist, we believe that God gifts men and women equally to be involved in leadership in the church. There's, there's good. There's good that comes from that. But also, like every good thing, there's a shadow side. There's a shadow side. And you and I, because individualism is the air that we breathe, Freedom and rights, it's just so ingrained upon our hearts that we have a hard time living into sometimes this idea that I'm called here in the local church to participate in a way that's not just what I want or what I like, 
but I'm called to participate in the way that God's gifted me by the power of his Holy Spirit to come into this local community of faith and serve. And to serve however it is that God's called me. Not for my good, but for the what? The common good. The common good of everyone. Imagine if I felt like God had called me to lead worship. Some of y'all are laughing too hard. And I came in and said, I'm going to be the music leader today. I want to be up front. I want people to see me. I want them to say, well, that was a great song that you sang. Or imagine if I was here preaching because I was going to make it about me. And I wanted to walk out to the narthex and my ears and my heart were just waiting for you to say, good sermon. Great job. But this was not about Christ and this was ultimately about me. And you can fill in the blank every way. That if it's, if it's good for the church that you sit closer to the front, then you'll do it. If it's good for the church that you need to serve in the nursery, you'll do it. If it's good for the church that you need to drive the bus for a retreat, I'm in. If we need to meet for worship at a time that I don't particularly like, fine. Because ultimately, I come in and I participate in the local body of faith here at Mount Brook Baptist Church, not for me, but for the good of others. And here's the thing that's, that's counterintuitive for us. We think that if we make it all about us, and we think if we get everything that we want right when we want it, that ultimately that will fulfill us. But the truth of the matter is that as we live our lives not for ourselves but for the good of others, that there is this joy that you and I experience that we can't experience when we make everything about us. It could be as we relate to our finances. We think if we hoard everything and we hold on to everything, we'll be most happy, we'll be most secure, we'll be most satisfied. The truth of the matter is that as we yield those things to God's plans and his purposes, that there's a joy that we experience there that we can't when we're being selfish and focused on ourselves. You know why I think that's the case? Because it reflects most fully all that God has done for us in Jesus. That ultimately, Christ did not come into the world for his own good. Ultimately, he didn't come into the world because he had need of us. He came into the world because he saw us in our distress. He saw us and our sin and separation from him. And he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I might experience eternal and abundant life. And I'm prayerful that, that God, on this Pentecost Sunday, would continue to do this work that our focus is not upon ourselves. Our focus is on 
the gifts that God has given us by the power of his spirit. And the thing that's most important in discovering our gifts, the things most important in discovering our abilities and how they can be used in local church is our desire to see everyone else in church flourish. Everyone else. I'm going to close with a story that a missionary told me one time. His name's Alan Duncan. Alan played football at Tennessee. If you saw Alan, you would know he was a place kicker. If he played football, he had only one option for Alan. It was place kicker. And Alan said he was leading a revival one time in a small town. Some of you still remember revivals. Maybe some of you have been to one before. And they invited a guest speaker and a guest musician to the revival. Well, now, how do, you make, how do you think that made the normal music leader at the church feel? Not real good. So he didn't come all week. So I'm not going to that revival. They must not need me there. Until the last night, he came. And everybody was surprised. Here's the worship leader coming on the last night of the revival. And when the invitation was given at the end of the service, he went down front. And he was a crying, I'm talking about ugly crying mess. And he prayed with the pastor. And at the end, the evangelist said, Brother Jerry has got something he wants to say. Which, if any of you are leading a revival and someone wants to say something in an open mic, just say no. Just don't do that. And he got the mic and he said, I've been home all week. I was just sinful and just self-centered. It was just all about me and I knew I shouldn't be that way, but I just stayed at home. And then his wife was the piano player. He looked at her, not crying, and said, truly. And then he kept going and on the cue, And he broke out, oh, Lord, my God. He had decided that he would sing one way or another. That he would get his stage time, even if it meant waiting to the end and going up front for the invitation. I've never forgotten that story. As much as I laugh at that guy and as much as I think, how could he be that way? There's a part of Brother Jerry and me. And maybe in you too. May God be at work among us increasingly as we sense all that he's doing in and through us to move forward into God's good future for us that he would give us a supernatural concern for each other. A supernatural concern that could only be attributed to the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us as we're transformed more into the image of Christ. I invite you to pray with me. God, we thank you for this Pentecost Sunday and we think about the birthday of the church. And we thank you that you do not leave us to do ministry on our own, but you give us your very Holy Spirit to dwell in us and to gift us for ministry. And that each of us in this local community of faith, you have called us 
to participate and engage in a way that's not just for our good, but that's for the good of other people. Lord, I pray in an often fractured and divided world that you would make us different. That you would allow us to know what's primary and what's not. That you would allow us to be so transformed by all that you've done for us in Jesus that we would yield ourselves and that we would experience the abundance of joy that comes from joining you and your mission to proclaim the good news of the gospel here in our community and even to the ends of the earth. We offer this prayer in Christ's name. Amen.